Hello, this is Matthias. Are you up for another episode of the FI Europe podcast? Today, Alva and me, Matthias, actually interview an experienced investor and fund manager. We met him at the FI Europe retreat in Portugal in May. And just a warning, this episode is not for everybody because it's not so much for beginners and it's for finance geeks who want to dive a little bit deeper into the art of investing. It's for people who want to leverage the latest science and thinking for stock investing to make 2 to 4% more than the average. Because if you invest 20k at 7% or 20k at 11%, it's a difference of 84,000 and that for some people might be worth the extra effort. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. And today we have a guest in our show that we met already in Portugal in May. He was a member of the FI Europe retreat. And he also was telling us a little bit about his investing approach in one of the presentations. And we found it really interesting. And that's why we have him here now. His name is Luis. And Luis, can you maybe do a little introduction, um, who you are, what you're doing, where you come from, maybe how old you are, just to have some background about you and who you are. Sure, Matthias. Uh, thank you for having me in the podcast. And hi, Alvar also. Hey guys. An uh, investment uh, professional for, for some time. I've been uh, working since um, 99, uh, finishing uh, economics and uh, entered the, the investment world at that time. Um, managing funds for the, the biggest uh, asset manager in, in Portugal. And, um, and I started managing uh, more or less as a discretionary manager. Uh, but then at the middle of uh, my career, let's say, in 2008, 2009, I, I started doing uh, things in a different way, in a more systematic way. Uh, I did the CFA um, charter, which is very important for, for this uh, approach. And, um, and so I started doing uh, things a bit different from the, the usual in the, in the investment management department. I was able to... Um, to manage funds much more efficiently uh, with this approach. And uh, I was lucky to, to be able to launch a new fund for the, the asset manager that didn't uh, launch any fund for the previous 10 years. Uh, and that fund was uh, very successful uh, which the, with this uh, kind of approach. And uh, both in terms of uh, marketing and in terms of uh, results. And um, at that point, uh, there were some issues with the company. It was a big company, lots of hierarchies, lots of uh, situations, not uh, like uh, perhaps not the best place to work for me. And so I decided to leave uh, and uh, set up my own uh, funds and uh, consult with different companies in an independent way. And... Um, That was when I founded the uh, Stoic Capital that is uh, using this approach. Uh, so building things uh, more systematically uh, and uh, taking advantage of uh, all the knowledge, all the, the investors' uh, approaches that have been uh, 
tests in the market, all the academic research that has been produced, and uh, develop uh, strategies on that side. Then I, with one of the partners, I came across a pension fund product that we have here in Portugal that uh, is uh, very efficient in terms of taxes for Portuguese people. And uh, so we decided to launch one of those uh, with, the, with the approach. And, um, and I guess doing that and other investments like peer-to-peer, for example, I came across the financial independence movement and, uh, and it connected a lot with the, what we were doing with the, the pension fund and uh, trying to teach people how to invest. And, um, and that's why I started uh, following your, your podcast. I think you were on one of the first uh, resources that I found about uh, financial independence, actually, because uh, I came through the peer-to-peer, uh, peer-to-peer podcast that you did uh, right at the beginning with um, Jorgen. And so after that is when I started reading a lot about financial independence. Really cool um, that you found us about um, via Jürgen. And it's also cool that we have somebody who has uh, such a, a big amount of uh, knowledge and uh, experience about um, the topics. Because the topic, maybe I haven't introduced it. The topic today is how to generate um, more returns than average with factor investing. So you will explain us about factor investing. I mean, many people um, currently are investing with ETFs and um, it's a kind of passive approach. And then other people are trying to, to beat the market, like using uh, doing stock picking, um, value investing with stocks and so on. And I think there's a new trend e- evolving, uh, which is called factor investing. And I think I'm currently doing it, but I have to... I have to listen to you before I know that it's really that really it is factor investing. My question for you is why does it matter or why should I do um, or use factor investing? And is it really true that you can yeah, make higher returns than average? So factor investing uh, is uh, for me, it's a bit uh, putting together the best of active management and the best of passive strategies. Because uh, I had a lot of experience as a discretionary manager that would study companies, listen to the stories, the strategies, and then invest. And uh, that was not so structured and uh, much more prone to, to have the, the emotions to destroy your performance. You didn't have a clear path. It's uh, very difficult to, to keep. With factor investing, you invest with the rules. So factor investing at the core is, uh, is looking at the characteristics of the companies. There's a very nice analogy uh, with um, food. Uh, to prepare a meal, you need a food that has uh, many uh, components, uh, nutrients. So you have fats, you have carbs, you have proteins, and you can study that and have a balanced meal. Here with the, with the companies, you also have these characteristics of companies that you can mix and have your portfolio adjusted so that the meal uh, in a in a right way. And what is the right way? The right way is uh, is things that were implemented in the past by active investors usually, and you can decompose what they were doing. Uh, so, for example, you can look at uh, Ben Graham with the value investing and 
he, ha he has in his books a lot of strategies that you analyze the companies and, and implement. And then the, the disciples from him, uh, like Warren Buffett, and you can see uh, what type of companies, what characteristics he chooses to his portfolios. And so along the, the way, a lot of uh, characteristics were shown to, to have uh, superior returns or superior risk-adjusted returns. So it's not just getting more uh, return, it's getting uh, less risk for the, the, the return. All this happened in the same time as the, um, the efficient markets hypothesis was being, being uh, developed and uh, having a lot of traction in the markets. And that uh, hypothesis uh, said that uh, to get uh, more return, you need uh, more risk. And people started studying this and seeing that uh, some investors were able to get more return with less risk. So these are called anomalies. And uh, these anom anomalies usually have some kind of explanation why they happen. And to justify and to you have to check if that anomaly is going to continue in the in the future or it's something that was random and uh, and is going to disappear. Looking at a lot of investors and a lot of data from companies, the main uh, factors that were uh, found was the the value factor, the quality factor, the momentum factor, uh, the low volatility factor and the um, size and the dividend factor also. So you can analyze the companies and uh, extract uh, these, these factors. I think that's, that's pretty clear. You, you, you just mentioned that, that you kind of anal analyze what um, successful investors did in the, in the past. Um, and so also there are some studies what, what has been successful and you know, um, you found these factors like um, investing in value, in quality, in low volatility, momentum, and dividends brings you more than uh, more returns than than other people um, have had. And now you just you deconstructed these strategies and you try to rebuild it in, in a systematic way, so that you can yeah you can apply the strategies um, systematically. Louis, I actually have two questions on that. Um, could you break down for the audience, kind of like, for example, the value component? Where does it consist of? Like, are you just literally talking um, certain statistical financial ratios or um, uh, just like three or four like uh, pointers of where it kind of like consists of? And yeah, could you explain a little bit on that? Sure. The, the value factor is one of the, the oldest one, and it was uh, extremely well developed by Benjamin Graham. And uh, his strategy was to, to buy companies that were uh, in really poor, poor condition and, uh, and invest because they are neglected by the market. And even a very, very little positive news would sparkle uh, a a very strong performance for the company. And so he saw that uh, this is extremely risky to do because uh, if you buy one of these companies, you might end up with uh, losing everything because the company goes under. But if you buy a lot of companies in those conditions as a group, you can profit uh, uh, handsomely for, from that strategy. 
And so that's what uh, what he did, what he taught uh, Warren Buffett at the beginning, what he was doing, and um, and beating the market uh, very strongly. And the rationale is uh, is very clear for this type of companies because when you are investing, obviously what you pay for the investment is should be a very strong criteria. But actually, when you are working in the market, you can quickly come to the conclusion that the price of the company and the valuation usually is the least discussed item by the analysts. Analysts love to discuss the strategy of the company, the management of the company, what they are doing, the products, everything uh, like that, and they don't discuss the costs. Usually the costs is uh, more or less omitted. So, uh, And people don't like to be seen holding companies that uh, have terrible numbers. So this, uh, this factor has uh, worked uh, in the past, but uh, actually in the last uh, years, uh, it, hasn't, it hasn't at all worked because it has been a very strong booming market and value strategies normally struggle at that time. So uh, in terms of uh, actual items that you look in uh, with the value factor, Benjamin Graham was looking a lot at uh, uh, book to value. Uh, so the, the accounting value of the company versus the market value of the company. But uh, that type of value uh, factor, now it's uh, getting less and less important because we are in a service economy where the book value of the company doesn't mean much. It's very difficult to, to establish. But you have other, other value factors. Um, the other most common is the price-earnings ratio. So how much you pay for one-year profits, but the most important value factor currently is the free cash flow yield. So what cash flow the company actually generates per year uh, versus the price you, you are paying. What you do with these strategies, you mix a lot of the factors and compare to the, a lot of these characteristics and compare to the rest of the market and, and the company historically. So you would say uh, the company is cheap and is value good value if the price earnings, for example, now it's much lower than uh, the average of the last five years of the company. So the company is lower, is more value the, or higher value than, the, than the, the historic average of the company. Or if this company is much cheaper than the comparable companies in the market, then it has a higher value score. And then you add to the price earnings and these comparisons, the comparisons with the price book and the comparisons with free cash flow yields. And uh, then you weight more the ones that, that are uh, better, that are stronger in terms of signal for performance. Gotcha. And it's just for my imagination, um, when I think about this whole process, I'm imagining um, a whole list of different criteria divided over different teams um, that goes effectively like a filter over the entire stock market, over all data, and then comes up with like either, um, you know, say 20 companies in a list based on all those criteria and a combination of all the ones you mentioned and a system that picks out those 20 companies, invests in them and kind of like rebalances every three months if, for example, say the value factor you mentioned earlier doesn't apply anymore or not enough. Uh, that's kind of what I imagine in my head. Uh, is it also how it really works? 
Yes, it's pretty much like that. Uh, you have to establish the, these rules. So you have to establish first what characteristics you want to analyze and how do you value them between them. And that can be very statistically or, or more uh, discretionary that you say, I want to have uh, like a equal, equal weighted uh, weight for all the, the characteristics, for example. And then you have to establish also the rules to, to build the portfolio because uh, it, it's very different to do a, a factor portfolio, for example, with a sector neutral or country neutral or nothing. So, for example, if you do a lot of uh, analysis of the value factor, you'll get a lot of um, utilities, banks, uh, this type of companies. But you might want not the cheapest companies in the market and have all this sector uh, tilt, uh, but you want that in each uh, sector you have the cheapest one or the most uh, high, highly scored value characteristic. So even in technology, there are more expensive companies and cheaper companies, and you want to have it equal weight. So you have to have a certain sort of construction of the portfolio. Actually, you have to you have to establish the minimum number of companies and and the weight, yeah, and then you have to implement. So you have to uh, decide. I want to rotate the portfolio every month, every three months, every, uh, and then uh, limit or not the turnover of the portfolio because as you know, costs implement implementing uh, generates uh, activity, and activity has a lot of top, uh, of costs. So. You have to think about these issues in the uh, implementation of, uh, of the factor strategy. And, uh, well, for here, for this audience, this is perhaps a bit too technical, but you have this done by uh, investment managers with the ETFs. So you can uh, actually, you can buy uh, the MSCI World uh, Low Volatility ETF, for example, so you don't you you can have the market cap weighted with the usual uh, ETF that people choose, but it's just one decision that change. Uh, you can have the low volatility ETF uh, for the the MSI world, and so you are exposed to that factor, and it has uh, certain characteristics that uh, are useful. That's pretty interesting that you can build this yourself. Or you can already can already buy ready-made um, strategies via ETF or via some some other construct. So just to to run down, um, if I if I understood correctly, um, so if you decide to to build such a strategy, you do the following: you um, say, okay, which strategy do I want to use? So I say I would like to create a value strategy. Then you then you um, build a list. Of the of companies that are compliant with these factors, like having a, a great cash flow and uh, are cheap, so you have like a list of stocks that are ranked. The top stocks have the best value, maybe, and you can also filter out stocks that have that, that are in industries you don't want to invest in, or you want to um, filter out expensive uh, companies. And then you say, okay, now I have my list and I want to invest in 20 of them to diversify a bit. And I want to have two of them of the two out of 20 should be in one industry so that you don't usually are not overexposed for, uh, for different um, industries. And then you just 
buy 20 of these stocks and after three months you build the ranking you rebuild the ranking and then you buy again the, the 20 stocks that uh, fit the most to your to your strategy is that kind of correct or is it different it is it is absolutely correct i would um, say that a, a good way to to start looking in a simple way to this area of factor investing is looking at um, joel greenblatt's magic formula for the market so it's the simplest factor model <laughs> which is a, it just uh, has two two characteristics for the companies with the rationale is uh, being a good company so good margins quality good margins and a, a low valuation so a, a multiple that is low and if you rank and then he ranks the the market with these two characteristics equal weighted and gets uh, at least i think it's 30 companies i'm not sure but he does it once a year and here it doesn't have any uh, sector considerations except that he removes uh, all financials from the from the analysis so all the other industrial sectors and it's a very nice book to to read and go over the the ideas uh, behind uh, factor investing which obviously can be a lot more complicated and a lot more characteristics can be looked at to get uh, a better risk adjusted return so you, you would recommend to start simple, just um, maybe using two factors and not to try to tweak 200%, like using filtering based on 10 numbers or something like that. Just start simple and you recommend the Joel Greenblatt, which is a kind of book or is one of the investment gurus. So we, we, we linked it also in the show notes. And what tools do you use so I, I could imagine that you use a kind of stock screener to um or you need to have access to data like the morningstar database and you just type in your filters yeah then you have the list is that true which tools are you using now well, here i'm um, i'm using uh, tools that are for professionals that is bloomberg uh, bloomberg professional and it has a lot of data and so this is uh, very simplified in, in this uh, for me that way. But uh, I've also used in the past some um, more retail-oriented uh, tools. Uh, actually, you, you showed me one that looked uh, really promising in German uh, when we were in, uh, in, in Portugal, in, uh, in the Algarve. And, um, but the one that I used more for the, the US was uh, Portfolio 123. Uh, and they have also the the data there, and the, some of the data you you can get from Yahoo and, and this type of uh, very public, very easy to use uh, databases. So if you have a price earnings, if you need a price earnings, it's uh, it's okay to get from there. It's more uh, work to then uh, get uh, all the data together and and analyze and and screen. So. There are some tools that uh, that you can do um, that make it much more easier to to do. Uh, but I'm I'm a bit uh, bad. Uh, <laughs> I'm used to to Bloomberg, which is a fantastic tool for professionals. But yeah, Bloomberg is quite expensive. Um, so I I think what I tried is um, I read the book low low volatility uh, high no, low volatility high risk no uh, the other way around. <laughs> Um, low risk, high return, and I tried the book 
or the factors of the book into my normal bank account from Germany Comdirect. And um, there you can also, with free data of Comdirect, I also could implement like 80, 90% of, of the low, low volatility recommendations out of the book. But um, yeah, I can also link some other tools for the Germans in, in, in the show notes or they can reach out to me. But um, yeah, I think there, there are a lot of stock screener and, and tools out there, but you have sometimes if for some strategies, you may have to pay for the data. And of course, Bloomberg is the biggest one or the, I mean, yeah, traditionally uh, the most used one. Um, but I found the, uh, the user interface a little bit clunky. <laughs> That's why I'm not using it. Yeah, what, what would you recommend for people who don't want to implement their own strategy, they, who only want to use a strategy? You mentioned ETFs. Can you recommend some, some ETFs you could um, invest in if you want to um, be exposed to some of these factors? Or are there other um, opportunities uh, to, um, to invest in factor strategies? Can I add one thing quickly? Just Louis also asked in terms of returns people can get out of this. And on top of Matthias' question, sorry, we're storming Important. You. That's, yeah, always it's important. How, <laughs> what's the profit? Yeah. How much can you make? <laughs> Because me as a retail investor, I'm thinking, okay, wait. So uh, VWRL on average 7% a year. Yay. What can I get by going through this effort, extra risk or extra work versus on average 7% I would usually uh, get. Yeah, is it worth it? Go for it, always I'm curious. Uh, yeah, it's uh, depending on the on the strategy that you are implementing and the the risk that you are assuming versus the, the benchmark. So you call it uh, active risk. If you, what I was testing when, with my models, usually get like uh, gross uh, 4% above the, the index, which is uh, very nice to 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 get but it takes a lot of tools and and uh, to do that and then it has to be in the fund and the fund has costs and this and that so uh for example the fund that we launched uh, in 2013 has been uh, has been returning two percent above the market for for since then and then so after costs, after all costs and the costs are quite high for the fund because it's a retail fund in Portugal so it's almost 2% cost. But uh, if you do like a, an ETF of uh, a low-vol strategy or a quality strategy, momentum strategy, usually you get like uh, 1-2% extra and with a low-vol, uh, perhaps with less risk, or most likely with <laughs> less volatility and uh, And uh, also uh, a bit extra return, which is like considered uh, the anomaly. So you can do that with the uh, ETF. I'm, I'm using ETFs for a long time in Europe. We didn't have uh, Vanguard. Uh, Vanguard was mostly index funds and they weren't coming to Europe for a long time and still are mostly in the UK or Germany. I don't know. In Portugal, we don't have access. And uh, the company that uh, we started using and grew a lot is the iShares. So the black black Korokai shares, and they have they have uh, strategies, uh, very cheap strategy, also like Vanguard with um, market cap weighted funds, and then all these the traditional strategies that you can implement. Then I also there are also some that do uh, multi-factor, which is more or less what I do, but in an ETF, and that way 
you know more or less the concepts that they are using, but you have no idea what it's happening at uh, each time, what factors they are uh, overweighting or underweighting or how the portfolio is exposed. So it's a bit tricky in that sense. But you also have that from uh, Goldman Sachs uh, factors and uh, and other providers uh, that you can find. And then you have funds. Some some companies are very strong in this area, like Robeco in the Netherlands, uh, Ram in Switzerland. So you have lots lots of options. And the the risk return profile is more or less that I, I would say that if you get the really high risk, like only twenty stocks and uh, no sector uh, tilts, uh, no sector considerations. Uh, you probably get a lot more re return, but with uh, a lot more risk. And here with factors, it has to be clear is that it's like a, like an active manager. You cannot beat the market every year. You are going to have years where you beat a lot, years where you lose to the market. So, for example, there are some some tests that made for S for for equity manager uh, active managers that. Uh, uh, shouldn't be made it's like uh, testing if the the manager was uh, top quartile every year for five years that is a stupid test it's that doesn't make any sense because uh, every manager knows that if he deviates from the market he's going to be right sometimes wrong another other times and then in the long term it's when he makes uh, the profit so some manager that active manager or here, effect a strategy that beats the market every year is probably a fraud. It's not possible. You have to take the good times and the bad times. It's more or less like when you invest in equities, you know that in the long term you're going to beat or are very likely going to beat the bond market, but it doesn't beat every year and it doesn't need to beat every year to have a very good performance. Okay. So you, give the, you have to give the strategy like a couple of years to see if it's more successful than average or not and you have to treat it like active investing which is okay i i use in in germany there's a robot advisor where you can also use um, where i use a quality strategy that is that is transparent so where i know which factors they're using and uh, currently it performs really good but um, i'm just testing it for like five months so i have to see if it's uh, really successful also in the long term yeah so um now we know how to invest in it so just maybe use an etf in the beginning then you have a black box so you don't know exactly how they use the factors but at least you can um, you have a simple approach to to invest And you can make, like you, you mentioned, 2%. Um, some people can maybe make 4% more than the average. But that's, um, I would say that's really good because you can you can be financially independent a little bit earlier. So if you use um, a compound interest calculator, you see that it makes it really makes a different difference when you, um, yeah, when you just um, <laughs> have more profits. Yeah, sure. Uh, but it's it takes um, a lot of work to to do that. It's not uh, and a lot of learning to to do that. Uh, it's not uh, so so easy. Except if you do with uh, with also uh, an ETF that uh, you you know the strategy. So I guess 
for example, the I think the the low volatility factor. Yours that you're saying that the quality is also been very strong, but the the low volatility factor has the the very good advantage in terms of behavioral finance. That uh, when the market goes down, it holds uh, much better, and uh, that's the toughest time for everybody. No, now last years has been uh, really easy to to be investing in the market and uh, and. Uh, being thinking, uh, thinking long term and uh, having a all equity portfolio hasn't been a, a, a big crisis. When there's a big crisis, it's uh, much tougher to to hold. And um, and if uh, if uh, you when you have a big crisis, uh, your downside is much lower than the market. You feel like uh, much stronger uh, psychologically to hold on and keep uh, keep investing then uh, then if you have uh, a performance that is uh, like the market or worse than the market uh, then it's the, the, those ideas you start to think about uh, you should switch something in the portfolio or this and that and it, it usually is a mistake yeah that, that's true i also i found out when i found out about this low volatility strategy i i found out it's really it's calming Well, it's, it's very peaceful to see that they just, um, these companies just grow a little bit every year, but they are steady. They, they have not these big drawdowns like in the, uh, the tech, um, stocks. And, um, yeah, that's really good. And, and also people tend to, well, yeah, people tend to go out of the market if they, if they have these drawdowns. And that's why it's easier to just stick with the strategy. If you, yeah, if you have companies that are slowly but steady growing. So I think most of the companies, for example, um, one of the companies um, that are growing or that are low volatility sometimes are these retail companies or franchise systems because these companies are adding, they're adding more and more shops or, for example, Texas Roadhouse, they are adding one or, or 10 restaurants every month. So they're growing, um, they're slowly growing over time, but they don't have these, these huge drawdowns, I would say. Exactly. And, um, and uh, usually it's companies that is very connected to the, the factor that you're talking before with quality. Companies that produce a steady uh, return and uh, they don't grow very much. That's why they are like low vol and sometimes uh, they're not so hyped in the market. But uh, then this uh, also the the issue with the falling much less than the the market is as a real advantage when you, you when you, the market goes up again because if you fall uh, it's with the percentages so if you fall fifty percent uh, then you have to grow hundred to to get back even and uh, if you only fall twenty five it's uh, much easier to get get there so. Uh, you don't need to to grow so much when the when the market is booming, and usually it's what the the strategy does, and you have the psychological effect that uh, we discussed before. Also, you said that different factors have different um, advantages, yeah, in relation to the market. So, if you have a bull market, or or if you are in a recession, these factors have 
yeah they behave differently or would you say you have you would say in a bull market you should be exposed to these factors and in a, in a recession you would be more exposed to other factors is that true yeah that is uh, the topic of uh, more or less factor timing which is um, also difficult to do as market timing which i don't uh, i try not to do I'll do the least possible uh, but with factor timing You have less volatility, so it's easier to to do than uh, with the market. But uh, so uh, there are there are many studies about the um, which factors work best and worst in different economic environments. Uh, and yes, so when you are in a in a bull market, you tend to go for size. For example, small caps are better than uh, large caps, and uh, momentum works very well. And then value also more or less, uh, but this market has been more with quality. Uh, but when you start having uh, economic downturn, low volatility is much better. Quality also improves a lot. Momentum is uh, is very tricky because uh, it reverses very quickly and lose a lot uh, very quickly. But then it starts uh, gaining again. So momentum is just, uh, there's several types of momentum, but uh, most of it is uh, the performance in the last uh, uh, period. So one month, uh, one year, three years, you can have usually have momentum in the one year and uh, some reversal in the, the one month and the three years. Uh, and then you have momentum with the prices and momentum with the, the earnings of the companies and so you can and sales, you can do a, a lot, also a complex factor of that, uh, but it reverses very quickly, and it has a lot of turnover. So turnover is a, a big problem in the momentum strategies and active strategies as a whole. So uh, actually, one thing that I'd like to mention is that usually there's a confusion about active management and active in the portfolio. People think that active managers trade a lot. And some of them do, uh, but you can also be an active manager and trade very little. And it's the, it's the, the idea that I strongly uh, emphasize that you should do. It's trades very little and try to maintain the strategy the most uh, you can. Um, so the, the activity is more in the, you can be active if you deviate from the market and not active if you trade a lot. So there's two types of active, and uh, one is clearly shown to be much better for returns than the other. Okay. And um, I also heard that um, these factors are not only working for, for the stock market, but also in, in other asset classes. Is it? Um, uh, we have to wrap up, but is it true that you have also these factors in, in real estate? Real estate, I haven't uh, heard about it, but uh, it might be. <laughs> Uh, okay, okay. characteristics, uh, but in the bond market, in fixed income, yes, uh, they are still starting to, to be more used, but uh, mostly in corporate bonds, because it has more or less the same characteristics for the companies as equities. They are analyzed, it's different, but it's more or less the same database. And uh, even with the uh, government bonds, uh, people uh, also start to, to, to do it. So, and who, who are the investors who should utilize these factor investing or who should start with it? Would you say it's for everybody or is it the usual, the usual investor or 
who should start with it? I think that uh, this is a bit more if enterprising investor than defensive or conservative investor. So if you read the intelligent investor, Benjamin Graham divides the, the investor in two types, the defensive and the enterprising. The defensive only uses like index and uh, and stays with that. Uh, here you have you can use it's a bit of a mix, but it's if you want to waste some more time or learn some more things about the market and uh, about the companies uh, to develop it. Uh, even uh, buying uh, like the the ETF for the factor without knowing what what is in there, I don't advise it. Then it's better to keep the traditional market cap weighted index and uh, and not not do that. After you have learned about the factors and you understand how they are going to perform in different environments like we talked before and how it's constructed, what is the philosophy behind it, then I would say it's a very good diversification tool. So you don't need to be 100% market cap weight and then 100% factor investing. You can add a bit of factors and, and diversify and learn about it with experience, which is the usual way. And uh, to do the the actual rankings of the companies and sorting and the and developed portfolio that is uh, very enterprising. So that is for people that really want to understand the businesses, the companies, and and uh, get the portfolios together, put them together. Which is also, I think that even for doing to do the index investing. You should have some knowledge about the companies that are in the index. <laughs> uh, I know you don't need to, uh, but uh, it's always good to know that you have companies in there and they have this and that approach and uh, and um, know something about the companies is not not that bad. <laughs> it's uh, true for, for everything you do um, that it's somehow better if you know what you're doing and yeah, to to have some insights and know what you're investing. Like Warren Buffett yeah. says, uh, risk is yeah. not knowing what you, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, so thank you for the insights. I think it um, yeah, it's maybe an, an episode for the yeah, intermediate or advanced, advanced investor, but very interesting to get um, some insights um, from your experience. Um, where can people find you online? Do you blog anywhere about the topic or do you have a Snapchat handle or where can people find you online? Uh, I'm a bit low online, there, but um, I think probably the best would be in LinkedIn. LinkedIn, And if people want to contact me uh, through LinkedIn, it would be great. I have a, a web page for the Stoic Capital but it doesn't have much information. It has some, some tools about this. It has the, re the research, factor research there. It has some interviews. And, uh, and I'm preparing a, a bit of a blog in a more financial independence area in Portugal, more general, but uh, we'll have certainly some things about, uh, about factor investing. 
Okay, so let's do it like that. Um, we, we put um, the link to your website and maybe we do, um, people can now do some comment, comments in the show notes uh, or send us a mail what they're interested about. Maybe we can offer a, a webinar or maybe you, um, yeah, we, we, we connect each other again when you start your blog or something else. So just people, um, please do some comments what you're interested about and maybe we do a follow-up session on that topic because it's important because you know you can do more profits and as a if you would like to recommend a book um so you mentioned the joel greenblatt book and the intelligent investor we, we will of course uh, link them in the show notes do you have anything any other resource you would like to recommend to our audience yeah i'd like to to emphasize the intelligent investor because it's a great book i actually did um a book club, investment book club here in uh, Portugal. And it was the first book we discussed. So everybody reads the book, book and then we discuss it. And and uh, I read it for the second time. And uh, it's a book from the, it started in 1949. So it looks really old, but the, the, the rules don't change so much. And it's incredible how up to date it, it, it still is. And it, since it's the book that uh, Warren Buffett considers the best investment book ever written, And it was like a Bible to, to him to start. And it also is a, it was a very strong influence for Jack Bogle and the, all the indexing approach. So it has the two active and passive came out of this book. It is a wonderful resource. And um, Jorgen Blatt, we, we discussed with the magic formula, is more simple. And um, I would uh, say the CFA Institute. Uh, has a lot of resources for for investors and uh, you don't need to to be a cfa charter holder to look at most of them then there are some things that uh, i think they block it for non-members but actually if you are really into investing uh, cfa charter is uh, it's a very uh, strong uh, education it's also a lot of work it's three years that you have to study and uh, but it has a lot of content but uh, the site it's also a good resource i'd like to to also say once one startup that i like in this area uh, with uh, investing is finimize so finimize is uh, gives uh, two news about uh, what is happening in the market just two uh, uh, and in a very funny way and you kind of uh, learn a bit about the companies and what is happening in the market with these very short uh, emails that they send or the app that you use and they have also courses about investing inside inside the app so i would also recommend finimize as what damodaran is a great teacher in finance and he has a, a investment philosophies uh, course in uh, itunes that I would also say it's a good resource to to learn about investing because it shows all the different approaches that you can have when you do invest. All right. So um, it, a lot of uh, resources now, um, uh, too much. Um, so we, we have to link it. Uh, please stop. <laughs> uh, people don't know where to start. So um, we link it in in the order of priority in, in the show notes. And people can so start uh, digging deeper into the CFA blog or download the app and so on. And what would you say to somebody who starts on the path to financial independence? Um, 
what is an actionable tip? What what is one small advice you can give somebody who wants to become financially independent? I think you have to um, to start. <laughs> it's really start and invest, <laughs> even if uh, if it's uh, strange, because a lot of these issues you only learn doing it. And so you have to start with a low amount investing, like uh, buying an ETF in this year or something and start, just start putting uh, some money in and seeing what happens. Uh, and, uh, and don't be afraid that it's not the optimal product that you are investing in, because you can later switch and the, you should start with the low amounts. I usually always do that with, uh, for example, with peer-to-peer, -peer, I also do that. I don't know about it. And I start with the little amounts investing in platforms. And so for here, for the markets, you should start with, uh, with that trial. All right. So just do it and start with small amounts and get some exposure to factor investing and yeah, analyze what you're doing, learn about it. And yes, yeah, so thank you so much for coming. Um, and we will um, put everything into the show notes. Yeah, thank you very much. See you again, hopefully in Portugal and in other meetups. Thank you. And thank you and goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.